as a young man, my parents raised me to be independent. And I'm grateful for that, uh, that training that I received to be independent. But I think that sometimes that training for independence has created a stumbling block for me to learn what it means to be dependent. I remember when our kids were very young, one of their favorite books that we used to read them was a book entitled, I Can Do It Myself. And it was a Sesame Street book, and I still, we still have it. It's down in our basement when our grandkids come. Sometimes we'll read it. Uh, Sesame Street, Big Bird here, and Cookie Monster, I Can Do It Myself. I can put my toys away. I can do it myself. I can pour my juice. I can do it myself. I can button my buttons. I can do it myself. I can comb my hair. I can do it myself. And you kind of get the idea here. And some of that is good training. We want our kids to grow. We want them to develop. And there's a sense in which as they become more independent, they learn to tie their shoes and do things that they need to learn to do. That's part of our training as parents, right? And I think that that's good. So there's an element to which being dependent is good, but sometimes that, that independent spirit can get in the way of not only individually us becoming dependent not upon others, but having that independent spirit that I don't need you and you don't need me and I can live life by myself. And I think oftentimes the church struggles with that same kind of mindset. Parkside Bible Church, are we an independent or are we a dependent church? If you know anything about our history, uh, the Grace Gospel Fellowship of which we are a part of, we have been birthed out of a spirit of independence. And a lot of our churches broke from the traditional churches of, what, 40, 50, 60 years ago, where the denominations that we were a part of, we said, wait a minute, some of your theology is not correct. And so we broke away from that, and we had this, this spirit of independence that's been ingrained in us from way back, I think. And I wonder if that has been our Achilles heel. We are not an independent church. I believe that we are not an independent church, just like we are not independent individuals who are an island to ourselves. No. We are a cluster of islands that are brought together to form a body of connectedness that is important to recognize as we are going to survive, I believe, the tide of evil that is coming and that is already here. I don't want to become dramatic, but I believe that we are seeing and we are going to see, it's not going to get any easier for the church here in America today. We are living in an age, in a time where a, a tsunami, tsunami of evil is going to come into our culture, and it is here. You see it. And we are sitting, I believe, on some amazing days by way of the church and what God has placed us here 
to do. I do not believe, friends, that we are here by chance. We are not here by chance. We are here by God's sovereign, ordained purpose. And you are sitting here this morning not by chance. I believe that you are here by God's sovereign plan. To do what? And to carry out what? And what, what is it that we are called to do? We need to recognize our dependency first and foremost. I believe that's so important. The attitude of this book and the spirit of our culture, I can do it myself, runs contrary to the biblical mandate of the church today. The, the sooner that we individually understand that we need each other, the more healthier we will be. And as a congregation, the sooner that we embrace that, I believe we will continue to show that healthiness. And so I'd like to encourage us to consider a number of Pauline passages this morning that really answer the question for us in stark clarity and reality about our dependence individually, but especially as a congregation. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the first passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 12, verses 4, 4 and 5. This morning I'm going to put on the screen a number of passages uh, that will be on the uh, screen and you can use these um, uh, if you don't have a Bible and maybe the Bible is new to you. Maybe when we talk about turning to Romans, you can't find Romans. That's okay. I'm going to throw on the screen some of the passages for you to look at. In Romans chapter 4, and before we read this, let me just make the statement here that's on the screen and to show that there is this principle that is found in the New Testament, that Christ is the head of the church, not the pope, not the pastor. Christ is the head of this church. Christ is the one that we are connected to individually, and we are connected in a very unique way. And the New Testament passages of Scripture just over and over again, share this concept that our dependency is on the head who is Christ. And we find that here in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. So let's look at this passage and let's read uh, this passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. It says here, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, verse 5, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I want you to notice in this passage here that the body of Christ is Christ is the head, just like you have a body this morning, and you and I, can, we can relate to this. We can say, oh, of course, we, we know what it's like, because that's what we're living in right now. You have a head. And everything that your body does is connected to the head. The head tells your body what to do. And we do this every day, 24-7. Our minds is basically the computer. It is the form of which our fingers and toes and our, our body gets all of the instructions from the computer, the head. And Paul uses this great illustration that all of us can understand. Even a child here that's maybe five or six or seven years old. Let me talk to you five or six-year-olds for a moment. Do you understand what it's like to live in a body? Any five or six-year-olds, can you just put your hand up? 
Let me see if there's a five or six-year-old. Any five or six-year-olds? Just want to see. How about a seven, eight-year-old? Nine-year-old? There's a, there's a hand. Gotcha, Celine. Good for you. See? Do you understand this? You understand, right, what it means to have a head and a body, right? And your head tells your body what to do. That same illustration, Celine, and for all of us, for us to understand, that's how the church is formed. Who's the head? Christ. And we are connected to the head, and we are connected to one another. So that's a principle, I think, that we can all fairly embrace and say we understand that. Christ and Christ alone is the focus of the church. Christ and Christ alone is the focus of the church. Just go back uh, yeah, to this slide, and I just want you to grab hold of this concept that Christ is the head of what we are connected to here at Parkside Bible Church. Please do not get connected to anything else other than Christ. What makes Parkside Bible Church different than the commons? What makes Parkside different than the Boys and Girls Club that's right down the corner here on the corner of Riley and Butternut? What's the difference between those organizations and the church? One word, Christ. And if Christ is taken out of those organizations, then they have a totally different mission. And some of those are good missions. I don't mean to say that the Boys and Girls Clubs are not doing a good job. Some of us go to the commons and we swim there every day. And we get exercise for our body. But is Christ the center there? That's not their mission, necessarily. The church is. Christ is the church. What makes Partside Bible Church different is because of the head, because of Christ. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, another passage that basically says the same thing. You will find in the Bible that when the Bible says a principle or a concept, you'll oftentimes find that the Bible will state it again in another place in the Bible so that the Word of God is consistent. As a parent, I can tell my kids, do this once, but when I say do it twice and in two different settings, when they're taking the trash out and I'm consistent with the trash being taken out and I'm consistent with us being here at a certain time, that consistency tells the kids that this is a principle that runs throughout all of the family life. It's the same here in the scriptures. Look at what Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 says. Paul says it this way. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Notice that there's one body. What's the body? It's the body of Christ. We, the church, that's what we are made of. This local church is a microcosm of the big church that is around the world. And even some of it is in the heavens. Because some of the people that have died in Christ are in the heavens. And this is nothing more than a microcosm of the big church that is part of the world's function and even the heavens. There's one body. Look at what it says. There is one Lord, one spirit, one hope, one faith, one baptism. What's the baptism there? I'm going to suggest to you the baptism there is not water baptism. It's spirit baptism. Because when you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ, here's what the spirit does. The spirit will baptize you, not with outer water. 
If the sin nature were that easy to wash on the outside, give me a bath every day, give me a bath every hour, give me a bath every moment, because I need to be washed on the outside. If it's that easy, then water could wash it away. Water could never wash away your sin. The blood of Christ can, and what the Spirit does is this one baptism is a spirit baptism that places us, identifies, and dips us into Christ without human hands. That's why some people, when they come here, they get a little nervous when they don't see a baptistry here. We believe in baptism. We do. If you're not baptized, you're not saved. But you need to be baptized by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit does that for you. You don't have to do it. Again, we're saved by grace. And we find here that this one body, we are ushered into the body by what the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ. And that's what I believe this one baptism is. I like to challenge our, our fellow believers, because they are other believers that believe differently, but I ask them the question, what baptism is this one baptism here? And if they say water, say, well, where do you see that? Give us, you know, what, the, and there's, there's biblical support for the spirit baptism. Okay, and that, our purpose is not to talk about baptism, but this is such a hang-up today. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why Parkside Bible Church is not part of the Reformed churches anymore. Because we broke away from that theology and we said, wait, 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 wait. We believe in something different. Why are there so many churches, people say? Why can't we all just get along? The reason we have different churches is because there's different belief systems. And there's some things that we want to say, no, we believe this, that the Bible teaches. That is healthy, friends. <laughs> that is very healthy for us to have good conversations about what we believe. Because what you believe will ultimately be what you live. Theology is important. So I get a little nervous today when we talk about, let's just uh, sing kumbaya and let's all get together and why can't we do this? And there's a place, I understand for that, but we need to understand too that there is this theology here that we find in the scriptures and Paul repeats it a number of times, there's one body. Look at Ephesians 4, skip down just a couple of uh, verses here to verse 15 and 16. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him, that is Christ, who is the head. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, it grows and builds itself up in what? Legalism? No. How do we build each other up? We build each other up in love. That's why we're here. We need you. I need your love. And you need my love. And what we do is we build each other up. And what we do is we build each other up into the head. It's like a little baby that's born that's got the big head and the small body. And the body is growing and it grows into the head. The language here is very much something that you and I see as parents. We see our kids come into the world and I, they're not really pretty when they're babies. I mean, they're just, they're all head and little body. But then they grow and they develop. And that's part of the growing process that the church, we are dependent on him and on each other for our dependency. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn over to Acts chapter 14. And here's what I'd like you to do. If you're new to the Bible, I'm going to ask you to take the Bible that is in front of you, or maybe you can look over the shoulder of your friend, Acts chapter 14, and I'm going to give you time to find this passage because I want you to become familiar with the, the scriptures. If you don't know where these passages are, I want you to become familiar with the 66 books that make up the Bible. 
There are 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 in the New, and it's divided up with, it's really a library of books. Here's how you find Acts, okay? The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just find one of those four Gospels in your Bible. Just kind of open it up about a third of the way back, and you'll find either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Find one of those four Gospels, and then just keep turning the pages to the end of the Bible, and you'll find the book of Acts. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And then what I'm going to do is this 14, that's the number here. 14, the first number is the chapter, and then the second number are the verses. So if these numbers, like why do they have all these numbers? It's because the Bible is divided up for us to find passages. These verses were not written when, they, when it was written originally. These were put there for our use so that we can find passages easier. So find Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Acts is your fifth book in the New Testament and turn to chapter 14. What I'd like to do is uh, share with you, and I'd like you to follow along as I read, beginning with verse 21. This is the end of Paul's first missionary journey. Here's what it says. Verse 21, they preached the good news. Who's they? It's Barnabas and Paul. They preached the news in the city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. There's two Antiochs in the passage here, so don't get confused. This Antioch is going to be the one north. There's going to be another Antioch that's going to be mentioned later on. Verse 22. They were strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas, these are the two that Luke is looking at. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Poseidon, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Adalia. From Adalia, they sailed back to Antioch, and that's a different Antioch here. That's where they started, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work that they now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. That's you and me. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. What Luke is describing here is the end of Paul's first missionary journey. Paul took three missionary journeys in Acts 13 and 14. You have Luke describing what Paul and Barnabas did here in their first missionary journey. And we find here that Paul does some amazing things. The message that he presented is the same message that we're committed to today. Look at what he's committed to. He says in verse 22, remain true to the faith. We are faith people. We believe in the faith that we put into Christ. We don't believe in faith just generally. Faith always has to have an object we are not people that say, oh, just believe and have faith. We say, no, we have faith in Jesus Christ. When you believe in Jesus Christ for your salvation, that same muscle of faith continues to grow and develop as you walk with God. It is a life of faith. And some of you are being challenged about trusting God this next week for whatever you're going to be faced with. Some of us junior high students are going to be going into junior high here in the next couple of months. 
And some of you are going to have to put your faith muscle to work. You're not going to have any friends. And you're going to go into a new school. And you're going to have to trust and have faith that God is going to see you through those years in junior high. You're going to walk through your high school uh, hallways and you're going to hear people use language that is offensive. And you're going to have to decide, are you going to use your muscle of faith to use your tongue to say things that are either appropriate or not appropriate? Your faith muscle will be used there in the hallways of the high school. See, faith is not something that we do here on Sunday morning. The muscle of faith is used out there. All this is, this is just a huddle where we call ourselves together like a football team and here's the play for the next week. Live by faith. Ready? Break. And we leave. And then what we do is we put our muscle to faith. And then we come back next week because you know what I do? I have a terrible memory. And God has programmed me to do a cycle of seven days. It is good for our souls to do every seventh day. That's right. Every seventh day, my soul comes back. I huddle together. What's the play? The play is live by faith. Right? See? And then we go out into the world. And see, that muscle of faith needs to be reminded. And I need to be here every Sunday, not because I have to, but number one, I come because the head resurrected on the first day of the week, and I want to give him all the praise and all the glory, and then I get to do it with you? Oh my goodness, I look forward to Sunday. Sunday is the best day. Because look at what we get a chance to do. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. We remain true to the faith. Can I also just say one last thing before I move off of this, this remaining true to the faith? The church today, I believe, has built walls within the church structure that are very damaging. We have young and old, and I mentioned this earlier in the service, we have music that is for the younger and we've got music for the older. And what we've done is we've built these walls within ourselves that are there. It just happens to be there, okay? It's, it is what it is. And maybe you don't believe this. I don't know. This is where I'm coming from in my years of experience with the church. We just have all these walls that we've built up. And we somehow have to take these walls down by faith and say to one another, young and old alike, young and old alike, do you know that you young people, you need us older people who have walked through the life of faith, and we will say to you, God will be faithful through your experiences. Because some of you young people are going into some things that are really difficult, and you need us older people. That's just the reality of it. We earn our gray hairs. <laughs> there you go. Somebody said amen. I mean, they just, they're there. We also need the young people. We need to build relationships with them. In our structure, in the church, we need to think about how we can bring these walls down. I think that's the challenge today. And there's a host of things that I could say by way of just, I have my personal observations, I'm sure you've got yours. There's just a host of things that we have not talked about, not here at Parkside. We have not talked about it in the church because the church still is building these walls. I've been there in the institutions that train our people to build the walls. I've been there. I've seen it firsthand. And it concerns me deeply. 
By the way, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get back into the church. The academic world is one thing. God is still using the local church. I still believe that. Oh, my friends, this is an unbelievable organism that I could talk for all day with, but I've got to move on because the clock is moving on. So let's go back to the passage here in Acts chapter 14 and look at another principle here that Paul gives by way of our dependency upon the message. Oh, my goodness, look at this. Look at verse 22. In fact, it's in quotations. They were strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must, quote, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Following Christ is not an easy path. And if we introduce Christ to people and we want to make you a disciple of Christ, we want you to follow Christ. I want to be honest with you and tell you what the scriptures say. Following Jesus Christ is not going to be easy. Some of us think that once we get our ticket to heaven, we've got our ticket, so now we can go out and live like we want. That is not the Christian life. Amen. It's not. Young people, I want to speak to you. We are hopefully giving you an example of what it means to follow Christ. But I hope that you see the reality of following Christ. When you stand for truth on your campus, some of you are going to pay the price. I guarantee you, and that's why you need the church to come back and say, you're okay. And we will dust you off. We will heal your, your wounds, and you heal our wounds, and we dust you off and say, stay true to the faith. It's not, my friends, an easy message. Jesus says it this way. I've told you these things so that in you you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world he says it this way in Matthew 16. Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you want to be my followers, you must take a turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily. Not weekly, daily. And follow me. Following Jesus Christ requires a life that says, Here I am, Lord. Look at the third characteristic here in Acts chapter 14. They committed to God's grace. It's interesting how Paul says it here. In this verse 26, he says, From Adalia, uh, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work that they now completed. We are committed. What's the message that we present? It's a message of grace. I'm going to start a series when I come back from vacation on what it means to walk in grace. Because I think that grace is just its this wonderful realm that God has provided us so that we can know God's grace. We need to grow in that grace we need to understand what it means to be grace-filled people. And I think that their commitment here is, Paul, they were committed to God's grace. And then look at verse 27, the last part of this passage. On arriving there, they gathered the church together in Antioch and reported all that God had done through them, how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And so there's this open door that the door was open for the gospel to go into so that the Gentiles, that's why you and I are here this morning, because somebody gave the message to the Gentiles and now the gospel has been going around the world for the last 2,000 years and God is still planting churches. That's why we're here. We're almost 200 years old. Opening the doors of faith. We started with faith. We finished with faith. What's the huddle that we say to one another? What's the game plan for this next week? <laughs> it's um, 33 cross, power right on faith. Ready, break. Here we go. What do you think? Does that sound familiar, Jay? 
There you go, 33 cross, power right. You know what that means if you played football. Open doors of faith. So what? I'd like to claim and say together with you in your heart today that our dependency is willingly and fully upon Christ and the message that surrounds us. It is a message of Christ. It is a message of faith. It is a message of hardship. It is a message of grace. Will you, friends, embrace it? Will you commit to it and will you claim it this morning in your heart? I almost wanted to have you stand and say, do you want to make a commitment? Because I think oftentimes we make our commitments pretty light at the church. We don't demand enough. God demands everything. I don't want you to stand. I want you to live for him when you leave. I think that's what he wants from all of us. So it's easy to stand. It's easy to raise a hand. Yeah, I'll do that. Go out there and do it. See what happens. We commit ourselves, our dependency is fully on him. And then I want to share this last thought with you as we close up this morning. And this is the second point of your outline if you're taking notes. There's an amazing principle that runs throughout this passage. And that is that we are dependent upon Christ, but we are also dependent on other local churches, congregations. We are part of the Grace Gospel Fellowship, and we are not an independent church. Please don't introduce us as an independent church when people ask you, what church do you go to? I go to Parkside, and we're an independent church. No, we're not. That is not the language of the New Testament scriptures, and I don't believe it's the language of us. We're going to see some things here that Paul did by way of what he did in planting churches, but I want to show you just a slide, and before I show this slide to you, I just want to preface One of the things that Paul did is he appointed elders. And I found this slide in our archives. This was a slide that goes back about 20 years. I just want to show you briefly what our elders looked like 20 years ago. Because I saw this picture, and the guy in the middle looks just like Andrew Zanstra. I thought, there's Andrew. That looks just like him. And then I looked at this picture, and I thought, man, that must be Dale and Vaughn and Mike Cook and Brian Booker and Kurt. This is 15, 20 years ago. So this is what they do. These are the elders of your church. Let's get off that slide because that's terrible. I'm going to get away with that because I'm going to leave on vacation uh, Tuesday and the board meeting is Monday night and so they can find me all they want. I'm not going to be there. What Paul did is he appointed elders to oversee the needs of the congregation. That's what a church has. I think that's one of the characteristics of a local church. We've got five elders that are serving right now, but we've got about, I don't know, 12 or 13 elders that have served in the past. And these elders, what they do is they are overseeing the spiritual needs of our congregation. Notice in this text, and this is true in the book of Acts, never, never, never in the book of Acts does Paul appoint an elder, one elder over the church. There's always a plurality of leadership. I am an elder with these other men, and I am equal with these other men. I preach and teach, that's correct, but there is nothing in the scriptures that make me any higher as an elder. We are equal on that board, and that's why we need to see who's the one that we ultimately glorify and exalt. It's Christ. None of the elders. The elders are only placed here by the Spirit of God. Look at what they did. They're appointed, but they're also committed to the Lord. They are committed to the Lord. The Lord's work is done in and through local congregations that have leadership that is committed 
to the message of faith. I still believe the local church is where God is using and uh, carrying out his work. And so we become a part, and we are a part of what we call the Grace Gospel Fellowship. This might be a new term for some of you. The Grace Gospel Fellowship, otherwise known as the GGF. This is a fellowship of churches that literally run around the world. We have approximately 109 churches that make up GGF here in the States. You say, that's not many churches. Well, here's our independence coming out, okay? Some of our churches say, we are members of the GGF, and others say, no, we don't want to become members because we're independent. I am so thankful that Parkside Bible Church is a member of the Grace Gospel Fellowship because we have a lot of churches in the States here that are independent, and they say, no, we don't want to be a part of any organization or the big D word, the denomination that we broke from. We are independent. Shame on us. Now, I understand the danger that happens when we become a part of a denomination. You have a hierarchy that tells us we are independent in that the GGF does not tell us what we need to do or what we need to say or what, what we believe. We willingly offer our services to say we belong to this group of churches. We also have, which is interesting, thousands of churches that are overseas. GMI, which is Grace Ministries International. In fact, Randy uh, uh, Aronson and his family just went overseas and they came back from a mission trip, and they did that through GMI, that is Grace Ministries International. The next slide will show you this, uh, this name. Grace Ministries International is what we call GMI. We also have another mission organization that is called Things to Come, which is another mission organization, TCM. And these organizations basically plant churches and share the gospel overseas. Our own John Cook... Um, is part of Things to Come mission. He's with that mission organization. And they've got some differences in their, in their philosophy of ministry. But we basically support thousands of churches that are overseas that we have seen planted through the work of our missionaries. And so we are connected to the GGF because we are a dependent church upon these other organizations. We also have a number of churches, real briefly, that I just want to introduce you to uh, give you an example, uh, Pastor Craig Apel and his wife Pat are not here this morning because he's preaching in another one of our Grace churches, but they are part of our congregation. He just retired from the Muskegon Church, the Berean Church up in Muskegon. That is one of our sister churches. Pastor Rob Rinberg is now pastoring that church, so they're part of our sister churches, and we still have fellowship uh, with those churches. There's another church in Muskegon called Robinson Grace Church. Uh, Pastor Bill Russell just called us this past week, and he said, do you have a sound system that we can use for an outside service? And they called us to see if we could help them. Unfortunately, we didn't have an outside system for them to borrow, but that was another contact that we had with one of our sister churches. We also have another sister church that we have purposely grabbed hands with, and that is the Georgetown Grace Church that is located in Georgetown. This is not the picture of the church, but it looks much like it. It's a very small church, but the pastor of that church is a graduate of Grace Bible College, a young man that just graduated, and he's pastoring this older church at Georgetown, and we have purposely, as a board, we have said, let's grab hands with this sister church, 
and let's encourage them, let's support them, let them support us. It doesn't go one way. We need them. We need Georgetown. Pastor Jared has been coming here on Sunday nights, and he's been teaching and preaching on Sunday nights. He's going to be here two weeks from today, and what we've decided as a board, we're going to do a pulpit swap with one of our sister churches. And so Pastor Jared is coming here, and he's going to share from the Word of God. And you need to be here just to hear him share the Word of God. Young people, he's a young man of, what, 25 years old maybe, He's expecting twins, the poor guy. <laughs> he's expecting twins. I mean, but he's a young man that he needs our support. So please, because the pastor's not going to be here in the pulpit, and if you decide not to come that Sunday, that goes totally against our philosophy of ministry here at Parkside. It is, we do not come here to listen to a man. We come here because of Christ. It doesn't matter who's filling the pulpit. If he points us to Christ, that's a good reason for us to be here. So two weeks from today, you're going to hear Pastor Jerry Coos. And I'm going to be preaching in his congregation. And we're going to do a pulpit swap. And we are graciously doing that as a congregation. And we believe that that's healthy for us because we're not a dependent church. We need to stay connected. One more thing. Next year... July of 2017, Parkside Bible Church is going to host the Family Bible Conference that happens on an annual basis, and they do it at different locations around the country. Right now, our own Pastor Matt is in Spokane for that national conference that is happening there in Spokane. That's why he's not here this morning. The GGF has asked us to host the Family Bible Hour next July of 2017, and the board here said, you bet, let's do that. And I was so thankful to see that kind of spirit of dependency that we have on our fellowship, the Grace Gospel Fellowship. I want to ask, there's one guest that is here this morning that is not a, a stranger at all, but she's part of the GGF. Her husband was a pastor here at Parkside Bible Church. And Shirley Hudson, where are you sitting? Shirley, where are you? Can you, oh, there you are. Could you just stand a moment? Because Shirley Hudson, Pastor um, Henry Hudson was a pastor here for I don't know how many years, but he was filling the pulpit. And it is so good. Uh, pastor Hudson went home to be with the Lord. And we celebrate that. But Shirley is here. And I would like us to recognize Shirley and make sure that we thank her. It's great to have you here. Welcome back. Parkside Bible Church, an independent or a dependent church. We are dependent on Christ and the message of Christ and other congregations. Our philosophy of ministry is not like Sesame Street thinking. I can do it myself. Rather, it is a spirit that says we can do it together through him, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our hearts and our heads in a word of prayer, shall we? Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to be challenged by way of these scriptures and pray, Father, that Christ would ultimately be lifted up and glorified here at Parkside and pray, Father, that you might empower us to have a dependent spirit upon you and those around us, the churches that we are connected with. Thank you for that connection that we have. Bless us, Father, as we continue to serve you and thank you for your love and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.